0: This episode of the jiu Times podcast is brought to you in part by No Judges Needed BJJ Apparel and Lavender Lane CBD Products. You can use the promo code JJT for 20% off your first order at No Judges Needed and the code JJTimes20, all uppercase, last two items are numerical, for 20% off your first order of CBD products. Thank you very much for sticking with us. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallagher. And today we are joined by a staple in the MMA Jiu-Jitsu community down south. You might have seen him compete in major grappling promotions or in MMA with the UFC once upon a time. Please welcome to the JJT JJT Studio Rob Khan, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, Matt Arroyo. Matt, thank you, you so are. much for coming by. How are you doing, sir?
1: Thanks for having me. I'm doing great.
0: I yeah, mean, I I, I I I'm glad to hear it. Just because the world is, you know, still so up and down with gyms opening and closing, it's good to it's good to yeah. hear people are doing well. Um, I'm just going to get right into it. What is it like putting up with Kevin Gallagher, maybe more than any other person <laughs> has to on the face of the earth.
1: <laughs> oh man, I sit in my office most days and he's out there teaching private lessons and I, and I hear him just talking, talking all that stuff <laughs> to, to different people and always finding an angle somewhere, you know, he's always- <laughs> Doing something crazy, Saying something crazy. I'm in there just laughing most of the day. <laughs> he, called, he called one of his private lessons as Golden Goose, like on the first day. <laughs> like, Yo, man, I'm not going to hurt you. You're
2: my Golden Goose. You know. What oh my God. <laughs> I forgot about that, but I have told many people on this podcast that you do you do impersonations, and I have heard that you do an amazing Kevin Gallagher impersonation. So I'm going to make you do that before the end of the show. No, just All because right. I've talked it up. I've never heard it. I'm gonna put you on the spot and make you uh, do that. We'll, we'll get back to that later. But <laughs> Matt's very, very true with that. I, I I tend to spin some yarns with my private lessons. My mouth opens and I'm not even sure the words of what I'm saying anymore are coming out of my <laughs> mouth, but it's after, fun to behold,
1: man. After his 10th private of the day, he's
2: just yeah, you know, exactly. You start to you start down. to dig deep. <laughs> yep. So dope, man. Obviously, uh, one thing you left off about Matt that we're going to get back to you again is that he's an ADCC Trials winner. Uh, What year did you win it in?
1: Uh, The Trials, I won in 14, and then I competed in Abu Dhabi 15. Yeah,
2: 2015 in in Brazil. So Matt is quite the accomplished grappler and as well as UFC fighter as well. We're going to get back to that in a little bit too. But First of all, let's talk a little bit about um, what happened this weekend. Obviously, you've been coaching Billy Q from day one and we were supposed to have two guys on on the fight unfortunately matt for broke his foot literally the last round of the last sparring session before he was going to do absolutely nothing before he went back to go fight the following week he broke his foot but billy q really showed up man tell us a little bit about the fight and how things went down
1: yeah uh billy q was going against a guy named kyle nelson and we had a full training camp, two months, knowing exactly who we're fighting, which especially right now is very rare. And, you know, we game plan. We broke the kid down. We know what he does well. He had a lot of power, knockout power, one-punch knockout power. His last fight, he just came off a knockout by elbow from the clinch uh, against Polo Reyes, who's actually a very good striker. So we knew there was a threat there. So um, the, the plan, what we did see his weakness was he, he gets tired, like in the middle of the second like a lot of fighters do and you know, everybody gets tired, but some people are able to push through the tiredness and not really even look tired and other people when they get tired, that that's the end of them. So, uh, we saw around the middle of round two, he gets tired a lot, especially when you are in his face and trying to wrestle him and take him down and strike with him and, and mix martial arts you know, together. And so that's what we did. And then round one, you know, Billy Q sometimes starts a little slow. He came out pretty fast in this one. He did eat some shots, but he was also given a lot of good shots. Uh, a lot of people had the the round one scored, you know, Billy, and some people had it round one scored, you know, uh, Kyle. So round one sometimes looks like that with, with Billy, but uh, round two and three are almost always his. Uh, people start to die down, and he starts to just warm up. So round one, they were hitting each other really good. Kyle put him up against the fence a couple times, uh, which, you know, Billy doesn't like that because it makes the fight kind of boring. So he was able to get away, and there were landing shots, landing shots. And then round two... Uh Kyle started to slow down a little bit and Billy started to speed up a little bit and he was landing lots of good shots, you know, good body shots, head shots everywhere. Took him down a couple times. At the end of round two, I was saying he, he was right in front of me. And he stood up and just landed this huge right hand, like <laughs> it was fist, face, floor, like boom, and just dropped it on him. And I think that was the punch that broke him for, for the rest of the, you know, the rest of round two. So yeah, so round two was Billy's 10-9 for sure. And then in between rounds, I guess I got, I got a, a little blurb there uh, that they were promoting around. I said, you know, because I was thinking, like, you can keep doing what you're doing and, and we're probably going to win a decision. But I was like, no, we got you want to go up the rankings. You need to finish right now. So he, he pretty much listened. Seven seconds into round three. He walks out, throws a, a feint and then a one 2 that, that just put him face down. You know, he has, Billy, uh, some people say Billy doesn't have a lot of power, but he really does in that right hand. Uh, I got it. it. And uh, I've seen him hurt a lot of people in sparring with it. And I've seen him hurt a lot of people in fights with it. That, that same right hand knocked out uh, Kama Worthy, who was also on the card, uh, you know, a few years ago in, in, a, in a, a regional promotion. So he's knocked people out before and hurt people with that right hand.
0: So yeah. I've actually I've actually gotten the chance to train with Kama uh once or twice when I was uh, when I was living in Pittsburgh. That guy is that guy is seriously hard to deal with. So like more yeah. more power to Billy. Uh, th- Billy had a few like like shots just like captured photographs from this fight that I would feel comfortable throwing on the cover of like a UFC video game. Like holy shit. The yeah. dude looked the dude looked absolutely on point from pillar to post and he does typically he does seem to have that late late game gas you know was that was that when he when he first walked into the gym was that something that you guys noticed about him that he had that that gas tank or was that something he developed from No,
1: honestly um you know in the very beginning you know uh, in his amateur career i mean he always loved training and fighting and all that but he didn't work as hard as he does now i mean He's never worked as hard as he's done now because he's in the UFC, but uh, there was one loss at amateur where he actually like was one of the only times I've ever seen him really get tired and he lost a decision. And I think after that match, he vowed to never get tired again. And it was just like a decision he made. And, uh, but yes, I, I did notice just from watching all the fighters that, that, that he, he didn't get tired as easily. And, and if he did, he didn't really show it like the others did. So I noticed that that was day one for sure. Um, i don't know if it's god-given cardio i don't know if it's uh god-given cardio plus hard work or god-given cardio plus hard work plus you know the fact that his brothers beat him up most of his life and this this toughness that not a lot of people have but something tells me it's a combination of all three
2: you know i i listened to you talk a lot about billy and about the things that make billy great and um you know obviously it's his desire and his drive and his ability to, to go through. Cause I remember yesterday you were talking about this in particular, like at the going into that third round, like Billy was tired. I mean, sure. there's no question that he yep. wasn't tired. He just went through a very high pace first and second round in the first round. I'm with you. I kind of thought he lost, but Billy always loses the first round. It's just Billy. It's in his DNA. He almost has to get punched around a little bit to kind of get his, get his, to get his brain. Right. Um, <laughs> when when he when he came in hard in that second round and started going hard 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 maybe the first round was close but you get the general idea when he came in the second round and he's coming out for that third like he's tired yeah but he's also making a decision and that decision started months ago during his training he made right. the decision to not allow himself to be tired To be tough enough to push through that to know that there's going to be a time when he needs to dig deep and finds that internal fortitude to be able to push through and like billy has that in spades and it's you know it's toughness is one thing but like toughness is also a decision that people make in order to do the right thing and i think billy has that man
1: yeah and and you got to remember too billy and i have this is our was our 31st fight together So think about 31 training camps that that he he has gone through where I make him do five five five-minute rounds. So if if you take all those five five five-minute rounds and all those fights, that's a lot of five-fives with fresh guys coming in on you. So even if you're tired, it's like another day in the office. Like, all right, I'm tired. This is nothing new. I go through this, you know, how many weeks? So 31 fights, eight-week camps, we do that once a week. That's hundreds and hundreds of five, five minute rounds that he's been through that he knows in his head that he could do it. His body's going to do it. His mind's going to do it. And you know, a lot of people don't, don't go through that. So when they do hit that wall, it's new. It's like, Oh man. Cause you know, you get the ego guys that, that don't want to hit the wall in the training cause they don't want to get hurt or beat up or, you know, they don't want to lose. But Billy has gone through that so many times that in the fight, when he hits the wall, it's a very familiar feeling and he's still able to push. And that, that's, that's where I wanted to get him. And that's, that's where he's been for years. He hasn't lost in years.
2: Yeah, that's, that's something special that you see in special athletes, that ability. I, I do that a lot when I train. Like when I'm training, I'm an old man, and I know that when I train and I'm competing, I know that there's going to be moments when there's going to be a bigger, stronger, more athletic kid that's, that's, that's younger than me that's going to be able to push that pace. So when I'm training, when I'm having a bad day, like I don't want people to take it easy on me. I want you to grind me. I want you to come hard because I want to know what that feels like. I want to know that when you go out and compete, I have that in me. I've been there. I'm cool with that. And yes. great fighters understand that. Young fighters that want to go out and just look good, everything's about being on top. They call them front runners. Everybody wants to be a stud as long as they're in the front. No one wants to know what it feels like to be at the bottom and face that adversity. When you start to go up the ranks, particularly into the UFC, You're not always going to be the biggest, strongest guy in the the cage. You're probably usually not going to be. And you're going to find guys everybody's going to push you. So you have to learn how to deal with that, man.
0: Yep. For sure. I real quick, I just gotta say, Kev, no matter who it is we're talking about, if they're a friend of yours, you'll compliment the crap out of them, but you're gonna get in one or two like really debilitating like things that I'm just like shit. I'm so glad I don't train with you, homie, because you ripped me apart. You're just like Billy, Billy's great. He always fucking loses the first round, though. Like he can't fucking this fucking kid is like he needs to get knocked knocked flat on his face yeah. for <laughs>
2: Those I you usually, don't gotta, know, I usually uh,
0: gotta dig him in the head a few times before he's really good.
1: <laughs> Kevin Kevin doesn't have like that sensor that says maybe I should or shouldn't say this. We were we were with uh, Carlos Condit many years ago it's, at a UFC good, good, good in an airport and he had just lost to what's his face?
2: Uh Higgs. Uh J- John Riggs. John or uh, uh the big big rig. Joe Big, big Rig. Johnny Hendricks. Johnny, Johnny Hendricks.
1: Yeah. And you know, he lost a lot based on wrestling. He got taken down a bunch and all that. And, and Kev's like, no, it's all good, man. No, no big deal. He's like, you know, you could have trained wrestling for the whole year and you still wouldn't have been able to stop that
2: thing. You can now. literally see Maggie, like, hey, good talking to you, Carlos. I mean,
1: <laughs> I think the, the look on Carlos's face after Kevin said that was just pure like wow. And then like this <laughs> disappointment. He's like, he's probably right. he's already already upset he lost a big fight you know yeah Uh, (laughs) i don't i don't get too surprised much
2: i i i i don't either sometimes i'm surprised i say things but i i I just gotten to the point where i just realized it's just gonna happen there's not much i can do about i'm I'm not gifted
0: with that switch i i think like we're gonna we're gonna talk about that that's a really good point to go into we're gonna talk about your career and, and your your martial arts journey but i think i would love to talk more about for right now you assembling this island of misfit toys in your gym you know you've got all stud athletes but it does seem like there's a lot of very eclectic personalities going on you know like all around the place what was it like you know starting the gym like that's always a rough process especially in this industry um and and and, did you notice that there, it was attracting a certain type of person, you know, or, or were you going out looking for a specific, like, gym environment? Like, like what, when did when you built your gym, what did you envision for it in terms of, like, personality?
1: Um, well, we started in 07, so that was right when I got off the Ultimate Fighter. I was a brown belt, and I had, had two partners at the time, Rob Kahn and, and Ron Nagel, because I was still fighting in the UFC. I had just gotten a contract, and, and I needed help. So we started it, and honestly, I had no clue what to expect. I knew jujitsu, you know, crazies come, come all the time. You know, even when I was training up, up at Rob's and I'd see the personalities that come in. You know, everybody's cool, but like you said, it, it could attract some some crazy people too. And uh, so from 07 to 09, I was fighting in the UFC and running the school, and uh, I knew I had to choose one eventually so I could put 100% into it instead of the 50-50 I was putting into both. But uh yeah, we, we've we got our crew, you know, there's there's all different types of people, all different walks of life. We have a bunch of lawyers. For some reason, lawyers love jujitsu. Uh, you know, we have guys from every blue collar, white collar and everything and in between. You know, you got the gothics, you got the whatever. Um, honestly, I had no clue what you expect. I just needed memberships to, to, to stay open. So whoever came, they were getting <laughs> signed up and they were coming in. They were going to join the family and uh and crazy enough, even 13 years later, we still have a huge handful of people that were in that first gym we, we started. It was a, a 1,200 square foot spot, like really thin and long, almost like a hallway. And uh, we stayed there for two years, had about 40 students, moved into the next spot, uh, Choice Fitness, which is this uh, 3,500 square foot fitness center. We were in the back of it. And then we moved on up to this next place, the next place. And so now we're in, I think our fifth or sixth place now. And we got 9,000 square feet, you know 500 students and man heaven knows you just walk through there's there's everybody man like like you said in the land of misfit toys is just there's fucking <laughs> personalities. But, but i love it man like it's pure entertainment all day i mean like you don't get bored in that place i'm in there i just just i get for some reason i can hear everything from my office it's this little office in the back and like the whole gym's around it and if you're like on the other corner I don't know if it's the acoustics or what, but I just hear everything. And if I can't, I got my cameras. I just, I just, sometimes I just take an hour off of working and just listen. I'm like, man, this is, this is crazy. This is
2: the stuff to hear. So. So like it's I, I think about this a lot and I think about just what you put together because your gym is is a monolith. You know what I mean? Like you you have really put together an impressive gym. And I'm not saying that just because you're my head instructor and my coach and my friend, like yeah. just looking at other gyms and what you've been able to put together. I mean, what, what is it? Twelve black belts you put out now. Uh fifteen, who's so, counting? Fifteen, right, Fifteen yeah. black belts you put out, uh. two, two UFC fighters a bunch of fighters that are either on the cusp or well on their way to becoming yep. UFC fighters like how do you feel looking on that 1200 square foot building you started with to what you've put on and managed to put together now as like the patriarch you know master mat of yep. Gracie Tampa South how does that make you feel
1: i mean it feels great i'm able to you know make a living doing what I love to do. I mean, that, I think that's all we could really hope for. That's the most thing we can hope for in life is to be able to do that, you know, like make money and not just like a little bit, but, but make a living, you know, doing every day what, what you love to do and being around what you love to do. So that was always the goal. Like there was no money in the beginning. There was really nothing in the beginning. It was just training and just doing more of what you love to do. And then, um, you know, I got my black belt in 09 and kept pushing forward with the gym and, and, and in 09 was the big year because that's when I uh, stopped fighting MMA. Uh, I can't believe it's already 11 years ago. but um, And that was when I was able to put 100% of my focus and effort and dedication into learning how to make a gym successful and implementing that. And just uh, seeking out mentors and coaches and, and, and just really pushing forward with that. Then we started to grow. Then we started to get these athletes in and then we started like now I was able to actually pay my bills. which you know, from 07 09, I was just living off of UFC money, which I only fought like once or twice a year. So it wasn't much, but it was enough to, to get by, I guess. Um, but now once you get a little comfortable and, and you can, you don't have to worry about, oh, i got to pay my electric. You don't have to worry about that. Now you can actually focus on making it great and making a program and actually putting things in place and systems in place to develop fighters, to develop jujitsu athletes, to develop a curriculum, to develop a, a program. Where people could actually get good, have fun, you know, and, uh, and move up in the rankings. Now, we decided to do MMA instead of just jujitsu. A lot of people just go the jujitsu route and just have a jiu-jitsu school. But we decided, you know, MMA, striking, wrestling, and jujitsu. So we started that from the get go. And, uh, you know, we've had some guys in 08, 09 do some fights and all that. But then in 2010, we had a nice crop of guys. Billy Q was in that crop of guys. Uh,
0: Matt Frivola. Uh,
1: Matt Frivola was in that crop of guys. Alan Cruz, who's now in the UFC also, was in that crop of guys. Um, Alan monster Barubi was in there. Um, you know, and we just, those, a lot of those core guys just stayed together. And, and another part I think that really helps that a lot of people don't do, and I think people are starting to do it now, is just, like, the self-improvement stuff, like, I could teach you all day how to fight. I, I know all the techniques, right? I know a lot of jujitsu techniques. I know a ton of MMA techniques. But why does a, a thousand people come through the door and only one make it into the UFC? You know, and it's it's self improvement. You have to write your goals down. You have to you have to turn yourself into the person who doesn't quit when adversity hits. Okay, like I could teach I could teach Billy Q everything I know, and then I could teach Billy Q's twin brother, which he doesn't have a twin brother. Oh, I'll go take Matt Favola he does have a twin brother maybe they're the exact same caliber athlete maybe they have the exact skills i teach them both the exact same thing but maybe matt was more prone to reading books instead of watching netflix or you know just writing his goals down instead of just you know winging it and the things like that and then like really working on himself that's how you turn yourself into the person who when when not if disaster strikes everybody has disasters in their life crisis, you know, life is just a series of crises that you have to manage and and how well you manage those and move forward through it is, is, is ultimately how you're going to succeed because why did Billy and Matt make it? But I can, I can, I'm not going to name any names, but I can name at least 100 guys right now on this podcast that came in and said, I want to be in the UFC. You watch, you watch. And why are they not there? Okay. So it's a million reasons. It could be, you know, athletic stuff, things like that, but guys of similar athletic caliber didn't make it. Now, desire plays a big role. Billy and Matt really wanted it. Like, when we wrote their goals, down, I still have Matt's – I don't know why I don't have Billy's, but I still have Matt's written goal <laughs> in 2010. He's like, I want to be in the UFC. Buy this. I want to be the champion. Buy this. I want to be a, a blue belt or a purple belt. Buy this. You know, and he did it every year. Billy did it every year. I had them read books. <clears throat> you know, like, that part of it is missing from most camps and most most fighters. You know, they, they're a lot of the guys are street kids, and they just think it's just about the brawl but it's about pushing through adversity, you know, between Matt and Billy, I, I could, I could name on, on almost two hands. They've all had how many surgeries they've had. They're still doing it. They're still fighting. They're still going marriage, divorce. And I'm not saying from Billy and Matt, but just in general, marriage, divorce, moving, moving locations, um, having a baby, you know, all these things are things that happen. I'm not saying those are all crises, but those are big life changing things where people lose their focus and lose lose their goal and, and and never push forward through it. So that's just as important as all the other stuff because I could take a BJ Penn athlete, you know, who was the prodigy, right? But if he's not pushing through, you know, that's the end of him. That, he was like, oh, that, that guy was pretty good. What, what happened to him?
0: Yeah. I uh, real real quick. I, I know for a fact what happened to Billy Q's goal sheet. Kev G saw him one day, <laughs> threw it out, and was like, "This kid's not going to make it."
2: Never, <laughs> never, no, no, never. I, I got I, I to
1: <laughs> dig it up. When I was going through all my old papers, I did find Matt's only for some reason. I couldn't find the rest of them, but I'll find them.
2: Billy uh Billy's a special guy man he he really is dude like I've been around that kid and, and believe me when you know Billy you know how much it pains me to give him these compliments because he's such a pain in the ass he really is he loves to talk trash and he yeah. loves to poke and he loves to argue and he loves to do all these things but 100% like there's no denying this special athlete that Billy Q is, his ability to push through things, his ability to to, to overcome, and his absolute, utter belief in himself, an unfaltering yeah. belief in himself, is amazing to me.
1: So, see, some guys, everybody has an ego, right? Billy has a very large one as well, but he uses it very well. Like the way I say it is, you got to drop your ego in the gym, which is hard to do, and then you got to resurrect it at the fight. Or at the competition, you have to be in your fight. You have to think you are the man. You're not going to lose. You can't lose. You, you know, and he does that well. And in like, he probably would have rather died than to lose to, to this guy. Like sp- number one, because he's Canadian. Because I guess in <laughs> Buffalo,
0: you know, No, problems. yeah i I used yeah, to train up in Buffalo the beef is harsh. I mean? Yeah.
1: <laughs> so like, I try to find guys for him to fight like that. Like, like. Like for Matt Fravola, same thing. Like Kama Worthy would have been a great opponent for him because Billy beat him, and there's no right. way Matt would lose to him ever. In his life <laughs> yeah. Because of that one simple fact. So you'd have to kill him. <laughs> you'd have to kill him. You. That's why you got to use ego to to your advantage. I think Matt and Billy both do that very well. Um, right. We all have egos. Let's let's face it. I mean, we you, you,
2: When when you're looking for opponents, when you're actively trying to to find ways to motivate your fighters, are you thinking about these little? subtle mental cues and these little subtle mental challenges to, to, to motivate the guys.
1: Yeah. If they present themselves, I'm all over it, man. Um, I, I like to have them in the process and a lot of some managers are like, Hey, these are the three guys that tell me who, which one you want to fight. And I, I see that and I understand that, but I love to have them in the entire process, you know, uh, even up to the last decision of picking who we're going to pick because if, if, if they give me an opponent that they really want to fight, there's a reason for that. Even if I think, wait, that's a terrible matchup or, or that's not a good matchup or whatever. Just the fact that they're like, I want this guy, that's like the untouchables. That's, that's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Not untouchables. The, uh, intangible. Un, intangibles. You right. know, like that people don't think about when, when a fight happens. If he thinks that he could beat him, that's more important to me than, than if I think it's a good matchup or if whatever. Because that's the most important part. I'm not in there. They're in there. So we and have he's going to gonna be
2: supremely training. motivated now because he's, I've screwed this guy. There's that motivation of self-will.
1: Was talking about Alex C- Cesaris or Caseras right. or whatever. right? And I, th- I think Alex is a great fighter. And I think that would be a freaking battle. But, but in Billy's head, he said, you know, that's a great fight. I want that. And I'm like, and in my head, that's going to be a three round war. But at the same time, I know Billy could beat him. I was like, if I didn't think any of these guys could beat these guys, I would, And I would, and I have before said, we're not taking that fight. Or if I think it's just a really, anybody could beat anybody, but if I think it's a really bad matchup, maybe the guy takes them down for three rounds and just sits on them. And I think that they are able to do that to my guys. Like I've, I've declined fights before. I've declined fights before and not even told, told the athletes.
2: Let's because. talk a little bit about you now, because I, I I'm gonna try to segue this into some of your psychological warfare that you do do. And like, there's Matt's nickname is No Regard, and for those of you that know Matt Arroyo, know that that nickname fits very very well. Um, I've seen you negotiate uh, with weight cuts when guys that don't make weight. You know, I've seen you literally belittle fighters to their face. I've, no, I mean, I've seen you, and this is the truth. He won't, he won't, he won't, he won't won't, won't debate this at all. And I've seen you while coaching against other fighters do things that will get inside of that fighter's head during the course of a match. Um, Tell me in your mind how you rationalize that to not feel like it's coming over the top. And maybe you don't. I'm just curious how 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 you feel about that in the strategic aspects, the mental game of that, why it's okay in the fight game.
1: Sure. Well, number one, you know, there's a book called The Go-Getter. It's about this thing, and everybody should read it because it just talks about a story of someone who was going for this job and, like, the, the person didn't want to hire him, so he just – was real. I'm, I'm relentless. And anybody who knows me knows I'm relentless. Like it, it would take 15 no's for me to, for, for me to finally accept it. If I ever do, you know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm a little impatient as well. So put someone who's OCD, relentless and impatient and you got a problem, you know, either a problem or if I try to use it to my advantage and make it a good thing. So, uh, and I, I have high expectations for people too, especially people who are close to me, people who are my friends, people who, you know, are my athletes. And, um, You know, some people, you know, like in the past, you know, if you're not making weight, you know, let's say it's one of my fighters, I'll sit, I'll sit on the door and you're not getting out. (laughs) Now, can the person die there? Of course. But, you know, I I play the odds. The odds are they're not. They're just being a baby, you know, get in there. I've cut 15 pounds in a week, you know, in a day. I know that it could be done. So there's that. Um, You know, I think you might be talking about a time when um, one of my athletes, uh, Troy Gerhart was – about to do a title fight against the guy i'm not going to name his name right and the guy uh either he didn't make weight or he didn't he did something where he'd be he backed out the day of the fight the more troy trained eight weeks for this fight so i was like i got to find this kid's number i'm calling him like like most people would not do that but i'm like you know maybe i could actually i actually called with good intentions i, I actually called to like be a mentor and say dude you don't want to do this get in there you win, you win, you lose, you lose, you know, you're not going to get fights anymore, but he didn't pick up. So I left him a nice message and, uh, not really a nice message, <laughs> you know, like, cause then I was a little pissed off cause he was uh, ignoring me. But, uh, but yeah, like, like, you know, you're going to back out the day. I'm like, what are you doing? This, that, and you know, so there's things like that, but you know, as far as the mental stuff in the fights, you know, well, it's just what I see. Like if, if I see the guy getting too confident, I'll try to say things that might make him unconfident. Like, like for example, Billy had his back taken in uh, the contender series by uh Walla Kirk, a really good black belt in jujitsu. And uh, I would say stuff like you're exactly where you want to be, Billy. He's going to burn all his energy out. And then in round two, you're going to be able to, you're going to, you're going to take over. So let him stay on your back. You're exactly where you want to be. Let him keep squeezing. Cause we know he's not going to get it so I'll, I'll yell this in the ufc fight and then billy would just kind of chuckle but at the same time it freaking happened <laughs> right and he because because by me saying that he was like screw this guy i'm going to choke this guy and then after the fight i'm going to look at him and say oh what happened you know i know they want that because fighters are ego driven always we all are uh, but especially fighters and you know so in round two he was a little more tired billy beat him up and in round three he got finished you know so things like that um Give me an example of what you're thinking of, Jeff.
2: Well, I mean, I'm, those are all great examples. I One one in particular was when my match against Tex Johnson. Like, there was definitely a moment where you, I think you called him an ugly bastard or something like that. It was no, definitely a moment where, no. where you – No, but I have seen you coaching Matt's side. You and, Tex don't, you and Tex don't have a thing. You did the same thing when he fought against the Gorilla, one of our other blacks. Yeah. yeah but there's – like, I've seen you, again – do things to opponents to get inside of their head to elicit response sure. in a strategic manner that is helping your fighter.
1: Yeah. No, you, you, know? got, you play to the ego. I mean, that's all it is, really. I mean, yeah. The, the one thing I remember when he was, uh, Tex was going against Gorilla. This is a long time ago, maybe seven, eight years ago. Um, they were playing feet, you know, they were going 50 right. you 50, know, whatever. And is really good with that stuff. And I didn't, I honestly, it was the first time I'd ever heard of or seen him so he's i didn't know brown belt just a while yeah, before, yeah yeah he was just an mma fighter i think but I, I didn't know if he was good or not at legs but i was like oh yeah that's exactly where because they were in the 50 i go this is exactly where we want to be he's gonna he's gonna try to rush out of here he's gonna he'll tap here shortly so he looks right at me and he gives me like the you know and i'm like yeah, hey, go ahead keep playing and then <laughs> Gorilla right. kept going after it and then you know he did end up trying to exit that position i love then, I,
0: real real quick i love how like your examples of your your Corner side advice are very much like positive. You're exactly where you want to be. But Kevin goes to <laughs> no, no, no. You called that guy an ugly bastard. Yeah, he's I don't he's know too good. He, good he, will, he won't be. Hey, Tex, your the chest piece is terrible. I can't it understand what's happening.
1: Yeah, like because then, like shortly after I said all that, I, uh, Tex had gorilla in a single leg, and and then they were right next to me, and he tried to throw him into me. Right. So that was fun. And then with Kev, the same kind of thing happened, but. Hey, listen if 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 i could get in your head from the sideline then you're not that mentally strong anyway like like if, right. if i'm going to elicit a response you know like where you're going to go extra hard to go after kevin because i yelled something that's great for kevin because you're out of your game you're not in that the, the cortex anymore you're, you're you're in like you know that aggressive mode where you're going to make mistakes so i always try it and if it works and i try not to be disrespectful unless they they kind of like Start talking back to me, like, like, dude, I'm coaching my fighter, you know. Then, then I could, I can get a little more nasty. But I, I try not to be nasty in the beginning. I try to more so elicit response. I want to see them get angry. I want to see them get upset. I want to see them make a mistake or, or, or try to prove me wrong. Like, oh, there's no way he's gonna catch a, a, you know, a rear naked choke. Let him keep trying. So he's gonna try extra hard. And maybe that one day that goes against me and they tap my guy in it. For most times <laughs> I wouldn't do it if I didn't think the fighter like Kevin's impossible to, to to get from the back. Billy's really hard to get from the back. I know when guys get their backs, they're, they're going to be okay. Let them burn a little energy so that when right. we get on top, we can blast them. yeah, you know and in, in the way
2: I think of it too is like when I when I watch you, I, I I'm talking a lot of trash about this because I'm just trying to make it fun, but like the reality of it is is like you know most of the time, just like you said, you're not doing these things unless you already sense some kind of a weakness. From an opponent that's already mentally weak in one way or another. Maybe they've already like in the in the case of Tex Johnson, a lot of times he will be the first one to kind of toe that line to start there going, Easy. I always say that. I'm not, I'm not the type of guy. I'm a, I'm usually a pretty clean-cut guy. I usually play pretty fairly. But if you want to start pushing that boundary, if you want to start playing that mental game, you want to start playing this whole like ego alpha male thing like i can do that with the best of them and i can get inside of anybody's head you know i'm talking about so what i see with you is the idea that you don't you know you're there and you're trying to be cool but as soon as you open up that line as soon as you cross that now it's on now it's fair game because you allow you allow it to happen
1: yeah i thought i thought of another example uh just in billy's last two fights the guy spike carlisle you guys remember him yeah alpha ginger right uh so (laughs) I, what I also use that I just thought about is what they say in their pre-fight interviews, in the fight, in coaching. So he said, I'm going to exercise the demons or some, something like that. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> like but, yeah. Yeah. He's exercise Billy's demons or he's going to – something like that. So like while Billy was hammering him and I knew he was tired, this is just my, for my own sick pleasure. I say, Billy, exercise <laughs> the demons. <laughs> you know, because what that does is – it'll either snap the guy out of it and make him want to fight harder or he's just like totally like not only is he getting physically beat up but now he's getting mentally beat up by me at the same time and uh you know with this other guy you know he said he's gonna knock billy out in the first round billy's not a killer that's what he said billy's not a killer i could see it in his eyes so while billy's punching him in the eyes you know i i'd say something like you know billy yeah i know you're not a killer but keep punching him in the eyes you know (laughs) you know like things like that i like to say because number one it's fun and number two Like I said, we can give him, while Billy or Matt or somebody's giving him a a, a physical beat down, I'm going to mentally beat him down at the same time. And and honestly, shortly after that,
0: the fight's over.
1: Right. Very after that.
0: Billy, punch him in the eyes so he can't see how much how you're not a killer <laughs> yeah
1: yeah not that's bad for, for someone with no power and who's not a killer keep going billy
2: yeah he uh, must have been looking in somebody else's eyes i don't know how you think about billy q watching his watching his highlight reel and not think that kid's not a killer you're out of your mind brother i'm just
0: good <laughs> that's the, the next time we have him on the show that's what i'm gonna my first question will be dude how have you been so successful without being a killer i, I just don't understand <laughs>
2: so another thing i noticed about you just being around you as much as i have is like your unflappable positivity like no matter what happens i remember we 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 talked about this recently and i actually kind of thought about it and 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 molded over a little bit You, you said you said that you you never feel stress like there's never a part of you that dwells on stress it's you you're you're always capable and you always have it in you to consciously make a conscious decision based upon rational thought um yeah tell us a little bit about how you've attained that level of positive and i'm sure it has a lot to do with the preparations you put into it but tell sure. us about how that has helped you and how it affects you
1: Yeah, I wouldn't – I mean, maybe I did say that, but it's not true. I do feel stressed, for sure. I'm a human. I I feel it. i didn't never stay there, though. Like, I'll stay there for five minutes. Right. And so I I guess I'm just – I'm a move-forward machine. I don't know if that's just conditioning from childhood, you know, being disappointed or whatever whatever it could be. I I just move forward. And I don't let – I don't take things here. Like, I don't leave it here. It doesn't go here. It goes here, and then I think about it. Okay, is this personal? Is this whatever – And if it is, or even if it isn't, eh, I just say, screw it. And I go forward. Like if it's not helping me go forward, it's, it's gone. It's gone forever. So I don't know how I got that. A lot of people are are envious of that because I do sit in my office with a lot of my students and people who are depressed and, and, and like, I, I can never picture myself depressed like, or, or of course I get uh, like moments of it, but I can never picture myself staying there for too long. It would, it would be, and I'm talking about minutes. Like an hour. Like after that, I got to go forward, and I I don't know how I do that. I don't know why I do that. All I know is I do do that, and and if it's if it's not helpful to me, I leave it behind. And if it's helpful to me, I'll bring it up, and and we'll move forward. And uh, that's just that's always how I've been. And some people call it no regard. Some people call it insensitive. Some people call it you know apathetic. Whatever you want to call it. It's it served me. It's served me. I, I don't feel what most people feel. Some people even call it, uh, uh, no, I'm not going to bring that up. Never mind.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who's listening.
1: Uh, never mind. I'm not going to bring that up. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, you can call it what you want. Uh, I know for a fact, maybe one day I freaking go nuts, but I, I, I don't I don't even think that. I don't even feel right. that. Like, 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 I don't even feel like one day that could happen. Like where I just go postal. Um, but because uh, I never You're- let it build.
2: You amaze me in that regard. And, and one of the things that I always find the most amazing about you, I'm amazed by you for for a multitude of things. I always like Thanks, you're, you're definitely one of my uh, my mentors and someone that I look up to and you, my black belt instructor and blah, 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 blah. What One of the things that, that I really find the most amazing about you is your ability to never show any pain. Like I've never seen you. Very rarely, maybe when you had the third kid, <laughs> that, that <hurt. laughs> and, and, and you opened up the second business, and you were you, you you I've never seen you show. It's like as soon as it's showtime, as soon as you're teaching class, you put the face on, you go do your business. No one would ever ever recognize that there was ever anything wrong with you or ever anything that's, that's struggling with you and your ability to part- compartmentalize that is, is something that I, uh, I, I admire greatly
1: because I wish I was better at that sometimes. Thanks man. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, and some people believe this, some people don't, I'm not here to, to try to change anybody's beliefs, but my, my big secret, my big thing is, is God, Jesus, man. Like every time I feel, cause I do feel sometimes I get so overwhelmed. Like I'm like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm trying to do all these things at once And all this crap's happening. And and, then whenever I feel that way, and this is my process, and everybody's got their own process, first thing I do is I grab a piece of paper and I mentally just take it out of my brain. Because if it stays there, then it can get heavy, right? So I just take it out and I put it on the paper. And and like you said, I compartmentalize everything. So I take, like, say, 10 pieces of paper. All right, business. This is what all my crap that's on my mind that I got to get done that I I don't even know what the hell I'm doing here. Boom. Family. All right, this is all the family stuff we got to do. We're going here, we're going there. I got to get this to the doctors, da, 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 da. All right, uh, friends. Yeah, these are my friends who need help with this and that and this and that. And, that. and then, you know, I compartmentalize it all. And, dude, the second I do that, I'm like, wow. I, I literally just took a 50-pound load off my back. And then I look at the things. What could I control right now? What could I What could I fix myself? And there's not a lot of it. Like, some of it, like, I have to just wait. And I, that's my biggest thing is i got to wait for somebody else or wait for something to happen before I could do something. Probably my biggest pet peeve, but that's what I have to learn. That's what I'm I'm working on. And the things that I can't control, I'm like, okay, I'm just waiting on this. In my head, I I mentally like grab the papers and just throw it up. I'm like, God, just take this. However this is supposed to turn out and however this is, you think that this should happen, it's out of my control. I'm going to work on the things I can control. I already circled the things I can't control. I'm going to work on that. But this stuff, I'm just going to give this to you. And I'm I'm not even going to give it a second freaking thought. And the, every freaking time I do that and I walk forward the next day, crap just comes out the way it's supposed to. And it, it's almost effortless. Like I just sold the North school and I had some issues doing that. I was trying so hard, trying so hard. And, uh, and uh, you know, COVID hit. I have to work on the South gym. I opened the, the North gym for for different reasons, you know, and, and I, I did it and I helped. and uh, But now I need to, to work on the South gym because it did take a hit, right? So I I didn't have time to do that. So I, I forced it and forced it and it wasn't working out. Things were falling through. And then all of a sudden I did what I just told you guys. And within like a day or two, we, Josh Best was, you know, my longest student. I was like, Josh, you know, it just sparked in my head. And, uh, about eight days after I brought it up to him, he bought it. Like he's already there. Like it's completely a compartment out of my brain, out of my worries anymore. Of course, I'll be there if he needs me to help him. But it's gone. And I, I didn't fight it. I didn't try. Like, I, w- I didn't try for that. That just happened. Like, and again, some people are Christian. Some people aren't. Some people are spiritual. Some people aren't. Call it what you want. But every freaking time I've ever done that, good things have come from me. It just worked out the way it was supposed to. So I, people say, oh, what's your secret? What's your secret? If I had one? I just shared it. That's not a secret anymore. That's what I. Yeah, do. that's
2: that's something, to, something to behold too. Because again, it it's, it deals with the whole theme of everything we're talking about. Now you put yourself in uncomfortable positions because you become adjusted to doing it. Just like Billy, you know, when you when you're training hard, you go those extra five rounds. So now you're there for it. You're used to it. When you start to con- focus on the things you can control, and then you tell yourself, you know what, the things you can't control, whatever's going to happen with them is going to happen. to happen with them. And like throughout the course of our lives. All kind of bad things happen, but there's not much left in the world that we, you are not prepared for. And when you just say, okay, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. Now you're not anticipating good or bad. You're just accepting, okay, this could go bad or this could go good. But unfortunately I can't do anything about it. So when it happens, I'll address that and then we'll reassess what I can do and what I can't do and what I just let go. That's exactly. That's right. that's it's it's good good insights, man. I
1: like got so one. Many people one worry though, they, they they just take that with them. You and waste they... so much time, Dude, and then they don't just... sleep. And then when not yeah. sleeping opens up a whole new world of problems for you because you're thinking about it all night, and you're like, ah, dwelling on it, Dude, wasting energy. It. Yeah, you Are can't you... control that.
2: Don't focus on that easier said than done easier said than done right you only have so many hours in a day and if you're wasting hours on things you can do nothing about then you're not focusing on the things you can do and it's like the the, the butterfly effect is the book you always talk to me about is that the one it's called the butterfly effect the compound, or the compound effect, compound effect right yeah, the idea of working on small little things and the small little things start to compound together if you're focusing on things you can't change then you're not focusing on the small things that will eventually probably overshadow the things that you thought were impossible in in the beginning. But let's let's move on. One more thing. We got about five, ten more minutes with you because I love you. I'm gonna make you sit on for another. Five. I know you're busy, but I'm gonna make you sit I'm gonna make you stick the whole hour. <laughs> I know you got it penciled out in your paper, but I'm you're getting I'm getting my hour out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> going to see Matt is like going to see the godfather. You have yeah. to literally I <laughs> have to literally make an appointment, then you gotta wait outside, you tap on the door. Tap on my, the door. My, my daughter's <laughs> baptism hey, today. Come you, in, come man. Man. you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to start. I want to get a few of your opinions on modern professional grappling, just because it's a new thing. You know, for for us like me and you that have been around before, I mean, I mean, the modern grappling, professional grappling was like you know Grappler's Quest, or maybe going to a Naga, or if you went to the ADCC and you know maybe you got paid, maybe you got some sponsorship. There was nothing even close to the world we're living in now. Right. How do you feel about? the directions that that's going in in, in, a, in a couple different ways. And first of all, I want to talk about what you feel is going to be the best like rule set. Cause that's the biggest problem is rule sets all over the place. But tell sure. me some of the things you think about that
1: professional grappling in general. I love it, man. You know, people can make almost make a living just competing in jujitsu tournaments. some now if if you have a name, right. right. So, um, now, when you're a white belt looking to get your black belt, you could aspire to be a professional athlete in jujitsu. I don't think you're going to make millions of dollars. You know, like everybody asks me, is there money in jiu-jitsu? Is there money in jujitsu? It's the biggest question I get by, by white belts. And is there money in jujitsu? I don't know. I mean, if you open up an academy, there is. If you, you know, teach seminars, there there is. Um, as far as competing, you have to earn that right to make money. You're not going to make money as a white belt, a blue belt, you know, things like that. The tournaments you do from white to purple, brownish are going to be paying your dues. You know, if you got to go the IBJJF route, if you want to do the submission only route, the EBI rules route, you know, those kinds of shows, they put purple belts on there and all that, but they're not really paying them. Maybe they'll give them ticket money, things like that. But until you get a name for yourself, which you really shouldn't get paid until you make a name for yourself. What professional sport in the world are you getting paid before you make a name for yourself? You know, until you get good. But assuming you're really, really good and you're tapping out people on, on the local scenes everywhere. And, and now you're, you're like up with the big boys, you know, like my good friend, Wagner Rocha, he's, he's killing it in that tournament scene, man. He's competing almost every weekend, you know, at least twice a month and he's getting paid well, you know, he, he could, if he quit his, his, his school and all that, I think in the last two years he could live off of and have a decent living off of just competing, but you gotta be a Wagner Rocha to, to do that. Right. Um, and some of these kids uh like William Tackett, you know, I guess he was a purple belt. I don't know if he got promoted or yeah. what. Yeah. Guys like him, he could probably make a living right now as a kid. He's a kid. He's he's I don't know, Is he 19 still 2021. 20, he's and, yeah, I
0: think he's he's still 19. I just I met him yeah. uh recently when I was out in Iowa for the BJJ Woodstock show. He is He's one of those next Good. level guys. He's he's going to yeah. set the world on fire, but he's going to be real polite about it too. He's an incredibly, incredibly yeah. polite guy.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. If you're marketable, you speak well, and, and, and you're killing black belts as a purple belt, I mean, this is marketable. They want you on those shows. Hey, I wonder if he could beat this black belt. I wonder if he can beat this black belt. But really, how many freaking black belts do you got to beat to get your brown belt or get your black belt already? He should probably be a black belt just uh, he's just, he's just a kid. Time, he hasn't
2: been training long enough.
1: Yeah, he hasn't been training. And, and who knows? Maybe in his gym, at the level, maybe he is a purple belt at his gym. You know what I mean? Maybe there's so many good guys there that that's where he should be. Or maybe for his potential, that's where he should be. I don't know. I'm just naming him because I, I saw how young he was and how he's beating, beating a lot of good guys now. Uh, but guys like him, you know, when I was 19, how much freaking money do you need to survive? Like, you can right. live off very low, you know, so he could probably, and he probably is, doing this for a living you know all right mom dad i'm not going to college i'm going to go this route i could always go back to college but so now this is actually possible when i first started jiu-jitsu this was not possible you didn't make money competing you know like in abu dhabi i think they paid you a few grand but you got to make it to abu dhabi to make that money there wasn't really pro shows Morris back it back in the day was was the first real one that was actually paying people to come out in a real card, like an MMA fight,
0: up until they weren't paying people. <laughs>
1: yeah, up until they weren't. Yeah, I was involved. In
0: that, it that's too. actually not, they still they still owe you money. <laughs> yeah, um, um, that's actually a really interesting question. Uh, even though we are still seeing a lot of fraud in the professional jujitsu scene, like BJJ stars, most famously, and hopefully they're, they're the last guys. But Matt Morris, they they had a lot of rough issues with that. Uh, in a vacuum. Assuming that jujitsu was as profitable profitable as it is now, back when you were first getting into you know combat sports and jujitsu, do you maybe focus more on professional jujitsu as opposed to MMA, or are you still going into MMA the way you did? If that makes sense,
1: for me personally, I probably still would have done MMA, but I would say for ninety percent of the people, it's like if it's just as big, you know, and it's doing well, you know, to make money, like. I look at guys like Rodolfo Vieira, guys like Buchecha, like even today they're, they're going to MMA, you know, like I don't think it's because they love MMA. Like I think it's because they want to make a crap load of money and get a crap load of fame to get more opportunities to make more money. You got to you know, get Rodolfo the Rodolfo Vieira is still undefeated. He's taking everybody down, passing the guard, getting their back. I don't know if he wants to be in there. Like I, I bet you if he can make that same money doing jujitsu, he would, he would do that. You know, I don't think it's ever going to get to that kind of money, but maybe eventually. Like you got your outliers like your Gordon Ryan's, you know, making probably millions of dollars, maybe. I don't think it's competing. I think he makes a lot more money doing his, his instructionals um, than, than he does competing, but he still makes a shitload of money competing, you know? Guys on that team, the Death Squad, they're making good money. Gary Tonin. Um, so you got like the guys that are really good at like Wagner Rocha, the guys that are really good at making money professional in professional gravity because of the output and how much they're doing it. And then you got the guys who may never get there. So that, that's the other thing. Like just because you're good doesn't mean you'll, you'll get on that stage. Same with MMA, just because you're a great fighter, doesn't mean you'll get to the UFC. Some of it's political. You know, if you want if you're the best in the world, you're the absolute best. Of course that is, you're going to get there and you're going to make a ton of money. But, um, I love it. To answer your question. I love the professional grappling. I love that guys can make a living. Even if it, you know, it's someone like me who, and Wagner who own a school and that's where we make our living to make an extra living, you know, and extra money on top of that, you know, and doing what we love and competing, you know, you get to travel to different cool places, you know, what, what's, uh, where's Polaris, uh, is that in London? Or- London. Yeah. 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 how cool would that be? You know, right. um, EBI, you get to go to LA, things like that. You know, I, I haven't been too involved lately because I'm having 50 kids and I'm getting a little <laughs> at the same time. You know, I did, I did EBI. That was, you know, I lost, but it was an amazing experience, you know, and you get money and you, you, they pay for your flight. Like that was unheard of back then. Right. And they pay for your hotel. You know, Abu Dhabi was awesome. I, I wish I was in Abu Dhabi now that Mo Jassim is running it when he's making it all pimp, but that's yeah. my plan. I'm actually going to be competing in November for, for the trials again this year. So, but yeah, wow. I, love, I love that people are going to, yeah, yeah. I can't wait uh, <laughs> that, that people are making money doing this and uh, it's great. Freaking love it! You know, IBJJF is even starting, from what I hear, to, to pay people in the in the uh, black belt division, or they're going to start paying winners. Yeah, they have like been last
2: thing. last couple years, last two years or so, they've been paying yeah, they, uh, I mean, the black they're not winners and stuff.
1: Doing that because they want to. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> doing that because they almost have to now. You know, that's right. a profitable. It was a profitable company. Right, you know, he's making. They're making millions of dollars. It's the biggest yeah. tournament in the world, and they're not paying anybody. But guess what? I mean, at the same time, people always give them give them crap. If you do win the world, you're going to get paid doing tons of seminars because everyone's going to know who you are. That's kind of like a platform to, to make money doing a school or seminars or, or instructionals. You know, you could probably make more money doing instructionals, seminars, and your academy than you ever will competing, you know, at an EBI right. or, or, or a Polaris. So that's that's I mean, the, I mean, that's the, the cherry on top. That. Yeah. You know, like who wouldn't buy a DVD from from Bochecha? I would. I have, you know, like right. – He's won the world, still, you know, ten times or more. So it's not all for nothing. Like you are the world champion, you are the man at this art. If you win that, just because you didn't get paid.
0: I um I know we're running uh, low on time, but I, I wanted to get this out. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff I I want to talk about, so we're gonna have to have you back. But uh, you know, everyone's martial art journey like specifically with jiu-jitsu it's really shaped by the people you meet early on and and the people that sort of guide you through the belt process you you were awarded your your black belt by uh, Rob Khan i think yep. in 2009 is that right Yeah, december 09 yep december 09 yep. when how did you meet rob so i've trained
1: the fir- My first official day of jiu-jitsu was March 8, 2003. At a- The reason I know the date is because it was a hoist, because I'm OCD, and it was a <laughs> hoist Gracie seminar. So I, wow. I, I stopped, yeah, I played baseball for, for University of Tampa. And when I stopped playing baseball, I needed something. So when I went home to New York for the summer near Albany, I, uh, I googled jiu-jitsu Albany, and that Saturday, so it was a Monday when I did that, that Saturday, there was a hoist Gracie seminar, and I had followed hoist. All through the ufc's he was a, he was this huge celebrity in my head like this is this was the, the man and i was like man if i could find a hoist gracie school even an affiliate that would be so awesome and he was actually going to be in town that saturday march 8th 03 i was 20 years old i would got a speeding ticket driving there it was like 40 minutes away i was so excited i get in the car i drive there i remember i got a ticket i was like screw it i don't care i kept going and that was my first official uh class of of, of jiu and I trained there all summer. I, I was home for the summer from University of Tampa. I was home for the summer. I trained for three months. Uh, at the end of the summer, I went to another Hoist Gracie seminar. I got my blue belt after three months. Probably didn't deserve it, but I was doing well with all the guys that he put me with. And then I went to Tampa. So in 03, 04, I trained with a guy named Craig Bellata, who was a purple belt at the time. And, and in Tampa, dude, there was no jiu-jitsu. It was that guy, Craig, who had this little club. And then there was uh, Eduardo DeLima in Clearwater, which is where A.J. Aghizam and all those guys came from. And uh, I didn't have a car. I was in college. I didn't have a car, so I wasn't going to drive out to the black belt there. So I just trained with him. And one day, the guy who, uh, who, was, who was training me at that, that Hoist Gracie seminar, at that, that school, I trained there all summer, Gary Govell, he called me and said, Matt, there's a guy coming to Tampa. His name is Rob Kahn. He just got his black belt from Hoist Gracie and he is ridiculously good and a good teacher. He's like, you need to train with him. I was like, sign me up. So I, I find his number. I call him. I say, hey, is this Rob Kahn? Hey, yeah, what's up, man? I'm like, oh, nothing, <laughs> man. I, like, I said, uh, are, you know, are, do you have a gym here yet? He's like, he's like, no, I don't have a gym, but I uh, we're training out of a an office. I have three students right now. We're training out of an office. Do you want to come train with us? I was like, hell yeah. So I go to this office that they matted up, and uh, it was Rob Kahn, it was Ferret, it was Badger, and all these animals. Uh, <laughs> Ferret, right. he, was training, he was yeah. training wild
0: animals in jiu-jitsu. So, so <laughs> Ferret
1: was a 60-year-old man. Badger was probably in his early 50s at the time. Jesus. And, and his son was like 25, and I was like 22. And then Rob, who was 30, 32 at the time. So all these guys in their freaking prime, you know, except, except the older guy, they all killed me. And I was a blue belt, one stripe. And... First, I go with the old guy. I'm like, he's dead. He guillotined me, armbar me. I'm like, okay. And they had all been training with Rob for about a month and a half. That's it. So, like, they all sucked. Not all of them, but they were very decent. And then after a month and a half with Rob, they were all freaking good. And they were all using the moves that he taught them. Uh, they, and so, basically, I went one by one went to all four of these guys and got tapped out by all of them. And then, finally, I, I, it was time to roll with Rob, and I was already like a shell. I was just like, just just take my body. just do. do. Not that it would have changed anything anyway. He arm barred me, arm-barred me, guillotined me, and then he had mercy the rest of the round and kind of let me work. Uh, but that was it. I walked out the door, and I was like, okay, I can go back to the club with, with Craig with the purple belt and you know, 10, 15 students and, and be, be like one of the top guys there. Or I could train with these guys, and I could do something. I can get, get really good and, and, and improve. And it was a quick decision. Even though my ego was shot, I was like, this, I suck. I'm like I got to go back. So I kept going back to that office and then he eventually opened a gym and I was one of his first five students and we got Rob Kahn in his prime every single day, rolling every single day, learning every single day for for a whole you know for years. And then uh and then it got big and then you know it got big. It was you know then he had 100 students a year year or two later and that was you know that was that. I was in the UFC after that. So that's how I met Rob.
2: Yeah, Rob Rob it's Rob is uh is such a pivotal figure in the Central Florida Jiu Jitsu scene, like just the amount of talent you're you, Rob DeNorfio, Gabe, all bamboo, all these guys, UFC fighters, the, the list goes on and on of amazing competitors that have come straight from the mind of rob khan man we, we 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 all love him we talk all kind of crazy stuff about him but it's, it's cool to hear stories about rob khan when he was the the great and powerful rob khan you know competitive in the, in the in the days of his youth when he was out there tearing it up man it's it's awesome yeah. man, rob's
1: amazing uh, i mean i was only a blue and a purple belt at that point when he was training for mma fights and all that but from what i remember man it was just disgusting pressure a ridiculous guard impossible to pass you know arm bars freaking galore everywhere from every position pressure when he's on top and just nasty. yeah yeah lots nasty. of people talk about
2: that man like yeah. how, how amazing he was man so yep. real quick i know you gotta go i want to end it on one thing we got to hear the uh uncle coach uh, kevin impersonation you, you got you got uh, it in you think You think you, it's on it's on now be be Come on, bring, 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 be a gamer. Let's let's see it. <laughs> uh,
1: I hate doing impressions in front of the people. I'm doing impressions for. Because it's, all right. <laughs> it's one or two things. They either think it's completely off, and they're like, "Oh, that doesn't," you know. Either they'll laugh, but oh, that doesn't sound like me. Or they get offended I will, just, be, just, I will never
2: be i you will never crazy. offend me i promise even if you did there's nothing i could do about it. anyway man it tells the difference <laughs>
1: no, you know what i mean you know what i'm talking about it's cool it's cool <laughs> <laughs> you know what i'm talking about you
2: know it's cool it's cool. <laughs> no, no, we we don't know what you're talking about. Man. No one knows. No one ever knows what you're talking about. <laughs> my dog, man. Well, Matt,
0: man, thanks a lot for coming on, brother. I know you got to get going. I'll see you, oh, in minute, man. Well, but, real qu- real quick, and uh, we usually like to allow uh, we let uh, the guest uh, of honor every episode uh, use this time to plug any sort of things, social media wise, or. Or whatnot that yeah. they may want out there. Like, do you have any anything you want to shout out uh, here at sure. the close? Or-
1: I'll take it, dude. Yeah, if, uh, Instagram at mataroyo MMA. Um, for, obviously, if you guys are listening, you like jujitsu. If you go to thejiu-jitsu-lifestyle.com, you can hit any of my courses: Wagner Rocha, Enrico Coco, Rob Kahn's courses. Um, Joe Lozon's on there. Josh Hayden. Uh Buchecha Cyborg, we got all those guys' DVDs on my on my site. That's uh the jujitsu Um, if you're in Tampa, Gracie, Tampa South, you know, that's that's the place, or Gracie North. Um, that's it, man. Check out my Instagram. I gotta grow that thing. I got like two thousand something people. I want to want to get that thing going. We'll put I, I the, literally we'll just put started plug. posting last we'll year. Put yeah. link, yeah. We'll put the link, yeah. put the link up underneath so cool. you so you can still be there for my don't don't give me a charity like follow i'm gonna put some good stuff up on there so you know <laughs> and God. again also with, if, you, if you ever want to see like behind the scenes of of what it looks like in the ufc i am always doing stories of that and, and things of that you can see uh, billy's fight all the behind the scenes stuff they did they they're actually giving us limos now i don't know if you guys knew that i it's saw that cool. I saw so, you, you, yeah. and, you and Dan yeah. Rollins got your own limos. That was pretty. Yeah, pretty they're pretty actually cool. separating the coaches that fly in together
0: because of COVID.
1: <laughs> not like we didn't just sit together for five right, hours. Right, uh, But yeah, they're giving us limos now. The you know the, the Apex Center and and the uh, Performance Institute is just top of the line, Bonkers. amazing. Like you've been there.
2: I haven't been to the Apex. I've been to the Performance Institute twice, but I haven't been to the Apex yet.
1: Yeah, the Apex is cool. I mean, it's just like their little event.
2: Thing, you're not. But, uh, you're so. not cool unless you have a picture in the jacuzzi with the U- that's the official <laughs> I am cool as hell from the jacuzzi with the UFC behind every anyone that's ever been there takes that picture because that's the official I made it I did the performance institute I I was in the jacuzzi with the UFC symbol behind
1: the box. Yeah <laughs> and, uh, me and Kevin are sitting there in, in the uh with the, the boxing gloves and the bags around us and, and there's a jiu-jitsu mat and we're like is that Forrest Griffin Yeah, yeah. Dude, I turn around for one minute to talk to Matt or Billy. I turn back around, he's rolling with Forrest Griffin. (laughs) You know that. (laughs) Who who wouldn't? Are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but like most people, would be nervous. Like, hey, Forrest, do you want to roll? And Kevin's like, yeah, well, let's roll. Yeah, yeah no. yo, man, I'm just
0: <laughs> fucking like Forrest with hell, man. Like, then, hey, do I know I you? Him, yeah, <laughs> man, I fucking, we're good. Eventually, <laughs> I pissed
2: them off because I told them something about like, yeah, man, you you're obviously an MMA fighter because you know, your hips are heavy on top. You know, you don't do a whole lot. But
1: <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's like, Kevin, it's just, I can't help myself. It's you just, why just why don't can't ever call you back. Why don't they ever <laughs> call you again? I
0: don't know. <laughs> it just happens <laughs> early on when we started this with this podcast podcast he was like hey cap Kevin, Kevin, man you know i would reach out to more people but not a lot of people like me you know i don't know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what it is it's just like i rubbed him the wrong way or whatever <laughs> i don't know what it is i don't know, I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> you, Conant, you either
2: you either love me or you don't yeah carlos con never coming on the show By the way. oh my god <laughs> you. go do your thing man we appreciate your time uh, I love you as always. You're amazing. You. Thank you. You're all right. Man. This has been uh, – I got
0: to close this out here. This has been yep. another phenomenal episode of the Jiu-Jitsu Times podcast. I have been your host, Kevin Bradley, joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Kevin Gallier. Special thanks again to Mr. Matt Arroyo for stopping by. Catch him on all the social medias and whatnot. We'll link everything down below. But in the meantime, you everyone out there that's listening, you stay safe. You still stay healthy. Remember to love each other. And we'll see you later. Good night.
1: Um,